welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome to this uh, session on Traditions 1 and 2. My name is Paul, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. And I'll be facilitating this uh, session with John and Bob. And uh, my sobriety date is October 6th, uh, two years ago. Um, What we'll be doing is each panelist will share with their recovery on this topic. Then we will take time to answer any questions. Questions will be taken from the Ask It basket that's up there on that table. If you wish to participate, please fill out a 3 by 5 card and place it on the table. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry this message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during this session. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. Let us begin this meeting with the serenity prayer. Prayer. God... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not my will be done. The essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other so that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses or opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Uh, what we'd like to do is begin this meeting uh, giving you a little more history on some of the traditions. Uh, one of the things that I found is there's a great wealth of knowledge uh, in the archives of AA to go deeper and deeper into the traditions which SA has chosen to follow. Um, one of the things I've learned about in following traditions and trying to understand traditions that uh, they don't just start by themselves, and the next day they get incorporated. There's group consciousness, and there's a lot of uh, heartbreak and activity to come to a conclusion uh, of unanimity. What I'd like to do is read you uh, out of Bill's Language of the Heart, which was written in the grapevine in December 1947, Tradition 1. Our whole AA program is securely founded on the principle of humility, That is to say, perspective, which implies, among other things, that we relate ourselves rightly to God and to our fellows, that we each see ourselves as we really are, a small part of the whole. Seeing our fellows, thus we share and enjoy group harmony. That is why the AA tradition can confidently state our common welfare comes first. Does this mean, some will ask, that AA and the individual does not count? Is he being swallowed up and dominated by the group? No, it does not seem to work that way. Perhaps there is no good society on earth with more solicitous of personal welfare, more careful to grant the individual the greatest possible liberty of belief and action. Alcoholics Anonymous has no must. Few A members impose penalties on anyone for nonconformity. We do suggest, but we do not discipline. Instead, compliance to the noncompliance of the principle is a matter of the conscience for the individual. He is not to judge of his own conduct. Those words of the old-timer judge not, we observe most literally. 
but some will argue, if we have no authority to govern individual members of the group, how shall we ever be sure the common welfare does come first? How is it possible to be governed without a government? If everyone can do as he pleases, how can you have nothing but anarchy? The answer seems to be that we cannot really do as we please. Though there is no constituted human authority to restrain us, actually our common welfare is protected by the powerful safeguards. The moment any action seriously threatens the common welfare of the group, group opinion mobilizes to remind us our conscience and begins to complain. If one persists, he may be disturbed as to get drunk, giving him a beating. Group opinion shows him that he is off the beam. By his own conscience tells him that he is wrong and dead wrong if he goes too far. So it is, as we learn, that the matters deeply affecting the group as a whole, our common welfare must become first. Rebellion ceases, cooperation begins, because it must. We have disciplined ourselves. Eventually, the course we cooperate because we really wish to, and we see that without any substantial unity there can be no program, and that without the program there can be little lasting for recovery for anyone. We gladly set aside personal ambitions whenever these might harm the group as a whole. We confess that we are but a small part of the great whole. Uh, there's a handout for you that we found that's a checklist of the traditions, um, which when, when I was reading and doing some searching, uh, I found out it was time to go a little deeper into what I, I thought versus uh, how I felt and how I treated the traditions. For me, it's the steps of the rubber and the traditions of the, the road, and now to go deeper and to uh, ask those questions and see the involvement of, uh, of the group as a whole has uh, really had a great impact with me. So uh, feel free to look at those questions, and if you have any questions along those sides, you can put them in the ask it basket. And at this point, I'll turn it over. Thanks for your lead, Paul. My name is John B. from uh, Northern Virginia. My sobriety date is the 14th of July, 2009. And, uh, you know, as, as we're all aware, you know, the, the steps, the 12 steps, are put forth in an order for a reason, and there's a very firm basis there in the first three steps uh, that we build upon for the rest of the program. Um, and it's somewhat similar for the 12 traditions. That first tradition is, is a basis for the rest of what we do in the program. But the other way that I look at it is that the other... 11 traditions exist in some form uh, to support that first tradition. It's almost like a, uh, if you want to think of it as a Mobius strip where it's, it's just, it just keeps reinforcing one upon the other. But without the other traditions supporting us, uh, supporting the first tradition and, and carrying through the ideals of that first tradition, then, then we don't have unity. So, question for the group, and, and I'll, uh, for the purposes of the recording, I'll, I'll record the results of this answer. Who here can, uh, can beat this addiction by themselves? Anybody? Wow, no hands went up on that one. Uh, I certainly can't. If this program did not exist, I'm reasonably certain that I would not be alive today. Um, you know, I believe that that my addiction was going to kill me one way or another. Uh, so I need this group. I need the entire program. And that first tradition identifies how we stay whole how this group and this, this uh, whole SA community can survive. Um, so I'd like to just do a couple of readings from the 12 and 12 um, that kind of highlight that. 
and I'll uh, because I can fairly easily with this reading I'll, I'll change Alcoholics Anonymous to Sexaholics Anonymous uh, as I read so the unity of Sexaholics Anonymous is the most cherished quality our society has our lives the lives of all to come depend squarely upon it we stay whole or SA dies without unity the heart of SA would cease to beat our world arteries would no longer carry the life-giving grace of God. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement, but I think it's true. Um, you know, it says in here that, that nobody can be punished or expelled. Now, people expel themselves all the time. Uh, but we're here for everyone who wants to be here. And as long as that's true, then the program keeps moving forward for me. When that stops happening, then my program falls apart. You know, you talk about how can, uh, how can a group of egotistical, self-centered people govern themselves. We don't. Okay. It says, how can such a crowd of anarchists function at all? How can they possibly place their common welfare first? And the only way we can is if we recognize and realize that if I don't place the welfare of the group first, my welfare plummets. And the, the reading finishes on Tradition 1 in the 12 and 12. It says, Thus it has been with S.A. By faith and by works, we have been able to build upon the lessons of an incredible experience. They live today in the 12 traditions of Sexaholics Anonymous, which, God willing, shall sustain us in unity for so long as he may need us. Okay. And the other reason we're here today is to talk about Tradition 2. And I'd just like to say a little bit about Tradition 2 before I pass it to Bob. Um, you know, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. You know, this is one of the, the traditions that for me was the hardest to get my head around. Because I first had to get my head around the concept of a loving God. And, and that was not intuitively obvious to me. You know, my, my models growing up were an angry drunk with a belt and a woman who would dole out uh, affection if she got what she wanted from me in terms of behavior. So it took me a while in this program to understand the concept of a loving God. But one of the things that helped me understand the loving God was hearing the voice of God in other members at meetings and hearing the wisdom in the group conscience because my conscience as has already been demonstrated in step one, was out of control and was run amok and left to my own devices about how SA should run. Um, I hate to think what would happen. But there is a group conscience and our higher power does speak through those he puts in our path. And, uh, and that's one of the amazing blessings of this program. And one of the other things, last thing I want to talk about is, you know, I, I've been to a fair number of meetings in, in different areas. And, you know, every meeting is run slightly different. There's a different personality for the meetings. But if, if it's not a healthy meeting, and, and, you know, if you've been to one that's not a healthy meeting, you recognize that it's not a healthy meeting. Um, it'll change over time or it'll die. 
And that's part of that group conscience, and that's part of the of our higher power leading us in that group conscience. And uh, and that helped me to accept things. If I walked into a meeting that was different than the meetings I was used to, it bothered me that they weren't doing things the same way. But everything we do, you can think of as kind of temporary. Um, if it's not healthy for the group, it will ultimately change. Uh, and the group will come to, to realize what needs to happen. And, and that group wisdom, that group conscience, is going to find a way to express itself. And I have great confidence in that. So with that, I, uh, I will pass to Bob. Thank you, John. Good morning. My name is Bob H., and I'm a sexaholic. Oh, wow. <clears throat> well, for me this morning, uh, I like to keep it in the moment. And uh, I want to thank you, thank you to Paul for having this printout. Uh, if you didn't have one, if you walked in, I see we're short on the traditional ones, but uh, there's tradition twos up here in front row. Uh, I'm going to go through these because to me, you know, later later I get to sit in a, in a session for doing step five, and uh, to me it's always been the uh, most cleansing thing for me. Uh, I stand up here in front of you today. I have a little over. Uh, uh, I, I reset my sobriety date of June this uh, last year. Um, I had over five years of sobriety, and although I didn't relapse technically by a sobriety date, I didn't feel clean inside, and. Uh, just like uh, when I got sober from alcohol, uh, uh, my first sponsor, after I worked through the steps the first time, he was a leather maker, and he, he made a leather-bound cover for my AA book, and I was so grateful for that. But he uh, also uh, put on there my sobriety date. You know, he, uh, he has the tools to put that into the leather. And, uh, you know, it took me eight years of sobriety before I had to realize that, you know, that wasn't on my sobriety date because I had one swallow of alcohol. A week later, it took me eight years, you know, and I realized this is a program of honesty, and, uh, and I'm sure glad the only requirement for membership is an honest desire because I had no idea what honesty was when I come in here, and I continue to learn that today. So, uh, one of the things I guess um, my my first sponsor taught me uh, one of the this is there's two books that GI have it's an AA big book and a 12 by 12. And uh, most next most important one was a dictionary, because I had no idea what the definition of a lot of words were. And I certainly, uh, uh, as time went uh, forward, I had to look up a lot of words. And uh, and what I knew nothing about was unity, and that's why we're here today is to talk about step one, uh, tradition one. And I just want to. Uh, the definition I got out of Webster's, it said, unity is a state of being one or singleness. That's what I hope and pray for, for this fellowship. Because as John just alluded to, without the fellowship, I will die. It's real simple. First of all, spiritually and mentally, emotionally, and then physically. But the next definition is a state of being made one. And that's what we're doing here today. We decided to be faithful to ourselves, to our inner being. And coming here to this convention, and uh, hopefully we can share this message of a recovery to other people. And another definition is a whole made up of separate separate elements. Obviously, we all have our own thoughts and fears that drive us, and uh, a lot of us are, have the same the same uh, fears that drive us. And that's what we're here to expose to the light. And the last one was full agreement and harmony, and that brings us to Paul's checklist. <laughs> Uh, am I in my group a healing, mending, integrating person, or am I divisive? See, when I, when I was raised, I was raised in an alcoholic home. And uh, all I, I ever I got from my father was, uh, um, well, a little background. They had, my, mo- my mom and dad had two beautiful little girls. And they got married late in life. My dad was late in life. He was 33. And one of them got drunk, run over by a drunken driver and killed when she was five and a half years old. 
Well, my father had a drinking problem prior prior to that, and it escalated at that point in time. And all that uh, divisiveness, so to speak, not to be able to live life on life's terms, you know, it started destroying the house. So my mother, being Al-Anon, being the controller, she decided she wanted to have another child. Well, that's where I came along. So uh, for me, it was like uh, I was the the little eagle that my father didn't like in himself as time went on. And I can remember getting a lot of spankings, put it that way, when I was younger. And uh, that's what I did my whole life. I did no healing. I did no mending, no integration with anybody healthy in my entire life. You know, and here's where I learned all that stuff is by working these 12 steps and having a relationship with myself. You know what? I'm not the bad person I always, but that's my default. I will always do my inventory now because, you know, I'm um, like in um, mid-sobriety, so to speak, where I'm still that, that old part wants to come back and torture myself. You're a bad boy, Bob. You know, now, I'm not a bad or good. That's nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a scared child of God a lot of times. And I, I react in uh, violent ways. I did when I was younger. You know, today I don't do those things. Or am I divisive? <clears throat> what about gossip and taking other members' inventories? Uh, I grew up right next to the church that I went to as a little child and went to eight years there. You know, and once I got recovery, I realized that the drug of choice for a lot of people in the church was gossip. And when you're a bad boy, you don't want to be anywhere around that. And that's exactly what I did. I would run. And that's always, I go back to that default again. And, but uh, today I realize, I, I go to my sponsor when I have those things today. You know, I have to have somebody I can rely on that, I can, that knows how I feel or can understand how I feel. <clears throat> Am I a peacemaker or do I, with pious preludes, such as just for the sake of discussion, plunge into an argument? I just had a recently... Uh, uh, I was at a dinner party with a, some people in re, a recovery and somebody that I know and respect very much. Uh, just as I was walking out the door, uh, brought up uh, the issue about our sobriety definition. And everybody that's in an essay even knows the, uh, the issue with that. And uh, um, my old person with one, would want to ask a question that would start an argument. And all I did was, you know, please God, this is a sick person like myself. Uh, you know, what can I do to save myself? God, please, you know. You know, I said that recovery prayer. And that's what I was looking for all the time was a way to be a piece of myself so I didn't have to do the things that I always did. Because when, when I'm in enmity with you, that, that destroys my chance of sobriety because I don't know where God's going to talk. He's going to talk through you or you. you know, what, what do I need to hear today? I don't know that. So I need that unity in my, in my life today. Uh. <clears throat> am I gentle with those who rub me the wrong way or am I abrasive? Uh, my biggest problem a lot of times when I'm abrasive or I, or I feel that a sense to be you know, forceful and, and not patient. There's a lot of times with sponsees, you know, you ask them several times to do something and they don't want to follow through. And, uh, you know, inside I, 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 I guess when I was in AA, I never heard of the word firing sponsees, you know. But in SA, I found out that they fire sponsees. And uh, I don't know if it's good or bad. Uh, I, I just know that for, for me, uh, uh, being fired is uh, not something that... Uh, is good for me. I'm afraid of that. So I've always, since I've been in recovery, uh, when a sponsor, a sponsor tells me to do do something, uh, I do that. And uh, I don't always do it the way he told me to do it, but I realize that he's only doing that because he loves me. And I don't know what that's about, you know, because I didn't see that in my own family. My mother uh, was my higher power. Uh, I was extremely codependent on her, and when she died at the, when I was 11 and a half from cancer, you know, that was the first time I had any contact with higher power. I said, please, God, don't let her die. She died anyway. I had a resentment against my mom for a long time because she died of cancer. I mean, is that insane or what? But that's the reality of the situation. She was on my first, fourth step. Now, you know, I made amends to that a long time ago. I, my parents have been gone for quite some time. My mom since 1967. My dad since 1990. 
You know, I love those people today, and I can't wait to see them again, if that's possible. I don't know that. But I want to be ready. Just like when the next sexaholic walks through that door, I want to be ready. Because I want to love that person. I could sit here today not saying to you I have no resentments against anybody today. That's one thing AA has really taught me, that I have to be really focused on my resentments. Why am I upset? It's always inside me. It's always inside me. Because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just a recovery sexaholic, I'm a recovery judgeaholic. That's what I always did, you know. And uh, that's my default. That's what I'll go back to when I'm not on the beam. Now, geez, it's easy to fall off that beam some days. You know, just... But that's okay, because I'm human. And, uh... Although my time is not up, I'm going to stop at this point in time and uh, pass it off to Paul. I would love to hear what he's got to say. So, thank you for letting me share. Paul, that's grateful covering sexaholic. Um... Conformity is not my suit. Uh, I'm a con man, and I will con people in con situations, so it works for me. Um, early on, when I, when I came to SA, you know, my life had always been erratic, non-conforming. Um, and then I was told that there are suggestions, and the common welfare, and... Uh, Personal recovery depends on the unity of the group. Now, how could that be? Because all I wanted to do is get the obsession to stop. <clears throat> Early on, uh, one of the groups I was in, like John said, each each group has a different flavor, a different color, and it'll manifest itself into what it needs to be. Um, for me, the first one I went to, I decided that that's the way it's supposed to be everywhere, and it's not. You know, there's an intent for things, an interpretation, and an application, and I have a hard time figuring that out. So in one of the groups I was in, uh, they they had determined that they were going to read uh, a reflection that was outside of the approved literature, or I wanted to read a reflection that was outside of the approved literature. And I brought it up through the group conscience, and uh, it was turned down. And uh, I did my best to try to convince everyone, you know, that I was right and they were wrong, that this was more towards S.A. and not uh, the one we were reading that we were given. And then someone came up to me and said, well, does it stop you from reading that? No, I can read it whenever I want. Can I share that with you outside of the meeting? Sure. Might it be something you like? Sure, that's okay. Um, uni- like when I heard earlier, unanimity. You know, what the heck's unanimity, unanimous? Uh, as long as it, I'm the one who's dictating to that, that's okay. But what I found out is all I've ever wanted to do is be heard, that small, quiet voice. So for me, when situations come up in the group, um, and the group has a conscience, we try to give that small voice an opportunity to be heard again. And I think that's all that I've ever wanted in a situation, and just to be heard and and give my point. Now, after the discussions ensued, and it's determined that's not the direction they go in, I have to learn to accept that. But at least I was given the opportunity to, to speak my piece on the situation. Um, when I first looked at these checklists, it really tore me up because uh, I kept answering no, 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 no. And I realized I had a lot of personal inventory to do on this, to call my sponsor and to talk to others. Um, but really, you know, I've heard that people with addictive behaviors have the strongest desire for a spiritual connection, far beyond normal people, whatever that is. Um, and that the beauty of seeing us come from all different sectors of life, it doesn't really matter where we come from, but we have one thing in common, and that we let a loving God speak to us, through us, through our, our group conscience. Um, I'm learning to take the cotton out of my ears and put it in my mouth because each and every person brings brings a message from God to me. 
something that I need to hear, something that I might not have heard. Um, and, and who am I to take something that, that's been so freely given from others and try to turn it into a program that, that I want? I've been blessed over the last uh, week to be able to start a new group. And uh, there's a lot of uh, concern on my on my behalf that I want to make sure we follow the program just the way it's been laid out. So it's exactly the same as it was for me and it can be for them. And uh, I'm truly excited about that opportunity and the fact that uh, given an opportunity to study the traditions and understand the painstaking that it took for a group of crazy people like ourselves to uh, sit in a room and to review things uh, and come to a, an agreement that works the best for everyone. Uh, some of the crazy experiences I've had in my local groups have been arguing over, you know, how much do you charge for a can of soda? Uh, somebody's not putting the money in. Uh, they're only putting in a dollar and they're not putting in two dollars or, you know, they're not doing this. I'm not doing that. And then uh, having the opportunity to work some in intergroup, it's amazing how the uh, the larger picture starts to turn. Those little things from the individual group are not as important. And then if you get an opportunity to start working at the regional level, you know you realize the responsibility is uh, a lot different than just personal needs, and it can take months and months and months to make a decision, which is truly great. Because any decision that I've made in the past that was quick usually didn't work out really well. Um, and, and I've had to go back and make lots of amends. And uh, I think that uh, I've had to go back and make amends to the group. And uh, they didn't kick me out. They still loved me. They uh, accepted me back in. And, um, you know, I, I'm an affirmation junkie. So... Uh, you know, anything that I can do to pen back to my name, um, you know, that, that still keeps me in the disease. But having the group of people to keep around me and to remind me, you know, that it's an upside-down pyramid, uh, that the group runs it. It's not individuals who volunteered to give of their time and services. Um, with that, I guess uh, we've got some questions here, and maybe uh, you want to take a shot at them first? Sure. John, I'm sexaholic. <clears throat> I'll start with this one. Says, I know of meetings that have dwindled to one person and have closed, <clears throat> and others that have kept open and attracted others in the long run. When, if ever, are we justified in closing a meeting down? Um, you know, as I as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, in my beginning remarks, I, I do believe that that the higher power is in action, and that uh, that meetings kind of come and go as with with the health that's present in the meeting, and and the more willing the people coming to the meeting are to be open to God's will and the less uh, they're there for either dumping or being in control of something uh, which I have been guilty of in in SA as well as other aspects of my life um, then the healthier the meeting is and, and the more likely it is to stick around but I've I've been that one guy waiting to see if if other people would show up, and uh, and it's hard to to keep a meeting open on a hope that somebody else is going to show up. I know that there are other people out there who need this program, but I can't make them come. Um. You know, up in Northern Virginia, we're blessed to have a lot of meetings, multiple meetings every day. And so at some point, uh, you know, my personal need can be filled by going to another meeting. And if I'm not showing up to open up the door, 
then that meeting has to close down. You have to publicize through the intergroup the fact that the meeting has has gone dark. Um, uh, it's a group conscience thing, and if the group is one person, then it's how long is that one person willing to to keep hoping? Um, and it is a hard call, but at, at some point, you know, you're most of us, most of our meetings pay rent uh, for the space that they have in in churches or or meeting halls. And so uh, sometimes that's a forcing factor. You say, I, I can't pay the rent myself. Um, and there are other meetings and other things available for the, the other members in this area. So, uh, yeah, the other thing that you can do is you can reach out to the, like our intergroup has a, a phone uh, answer service. And they will direct people to meetings. I mean, you can. I've, I've contacted the uh, the phone committee and said, "Hey, can you make sure that you emphasize the fact that this meeting exists when you talk to people who are from this local area?" Uh, but you can only do so much, and then you got to make the decision. And it's unfortunate that that meetings go dark. But they do, and it's not just because you're down to one person. Sometimes it can be because, you know, the people who are showing up aren't really there for recovery. Um, They have a variety of reasons for being there. Uh, But again, when you get into an unhealthy environment in a meeting, uh, it tends to sort itself out, and that also is God's will. Um, Paul, I'd just like to add on that. one of the things that is truly important is to, uh, as you get meetings started, is to keep a big book study, a step study, a white book study, um, and also on the traditions. Uh, the more you know, the better educated you are about the program and the fundamentals, it seems to be more attractive. Um, and sometimes that's the hardest thing because people want to come and my experience has been use that as a chance to voice their opinion or therapy, but it's not. It's, it's a place to, uh, to heal. Now we all have top plate issues and they need to be brought up so we could help each other. But, uh, I found that the, the, the ones that seem to remain are the ones that continue to offer the basic needs, and it'll build from that. I've seen them manifest into uh, uh, groups even inside and outside where there's accountability groups that flourish, uh, small groups that flourish outside of the initial program, um, daily uh, phone calls to to get your day together. Uh, There's lots of ways it can manifest itself, but if we don't keep it, the way it's been laid out, that's proven that it works. Uh, I've I've seen the groups die and dwindle immediately, and it's not personal. It's never personal because everybody's in their own space and own time, and uh, it's a program of action, and that's all I have to do to be a part of it. Was like John talked about, you know, I can show up and be by myself, and I said, well, I just go home. Well, no, you know, there might be that one person. Uh, there's people that have told me that there's been impact based on the fact that you were there. And some of those meetings of just being there and only one other person coming in was that person's last lifeline. Um, And it's a new way of life for them. But sometimes circumstances prevent you from continuing that meeting and you have to make an adjustment. I heard a story one time about a a church in Pennsylvania that... uh, on Sundays, people weren't going, so uh, the pastor was getting very disappointed, and then they turned around and turned it to Saturday, and the place was overfilling. So sometimes you just have to look and see what else will work for the group, and I'll turn this over. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, my name is Bob. I'm sexaholic. <clears throat> um, uh, where I live right now, uh, we started a meeting... Um, it's the only meeting in the city I live in right now. There's uh, several meetings uh, about 25, 30 miles away. And uh, our meeting is about two years old. And we're in, 
in that crisis mode right now. I would say we have had uh, we had up to ten people, and the numbers have been dwindling. And uh, to me, a meeting will stay alive if there's one person in there that is open, honest, and willing to the best of their ability. It will stay open. I have a friend of mine that's in uh, this fellowship. His wife's in a, the other fellowship. And she started the meeting. She was there for nine months in a, in a room all by herself. One time she had one person come in there and had nine months. So she was honest, open, and willing to change her life. And that's how the meeting survived. She, God gave her that strength to, to stay in that meeting because she had a purpose, and that purpose had nothing to do with her. She was doing it for her higher power's purpose. And... uh and so that's what happens with a meeting like that I'm currently in right now. Uh, when you have people that uh, uh, don't want to work their steps or don't have a sponsor or they believe that, you know, lusting is still part of their solution, you know, they're welcome to be in the meeting. But the reality is it's attraction rather than promotion. You know, so you always want to hear the people, oh, we need to go to other meetings and announce that we need help and things like that. Uh, and, you know, my answer is always... What we need to do is work our steps with a sponsor because that's how the program is set up. And the grace of God will turn the meeting around. That's what it's meant to be. And uh, that's why we, all groups should have a prudent reserve, and I should never give more than my $2. And if that doesn't require the rent, see, I'm here today because part of me died. And from them ashes, a new person was born. I have to let everything in my life, everything that touches my life, be like that, including a meeting, including the fellowship. Because uh, life does come from death. That's why I'm not afraid of death anymore today. Let it come. So be it. Thank you. Paul, one of the questions was, uh, how can we promote and ensure unity without people taking charge? And I'm having hard conversations with other members. Um, SA is not in the right place for you. We don't have a desire to stop lusting. Without this, it seems that people who do not have our problem or want our solution lead our meetings. Um, those can be hard uh, opportunities, but uh, if you go early and uh, sometimes you talk with other members to make sure you sign up to lead and chair the meetings. Um, you don't have to get into those discussions because uh, a lot of times I've found that the people who want to comment or uh, turn the meeting into something other than it is don't show up early anyways. So um, you just have to do it in loving and kind. And, of course, if you get to the point where it's gotten that far out of hand. You can always get together with a few people and, and you know, talk to your sponsor, talk to other people, have some discussions with others who might have gone through that. Um, but it always seems to work out in the end that the the unity of the spirit for for which we've been given um, always seems to uh, to override that one or two uh, person who wants to be negative or wants to change. The program. They always have an opportunity to go somewhere else. You know, uh, I've always wanted to change things to fit my way, and then someone suggested that why don't I go start something somewhere else? What a novel idea! And uh, leave well enough alone, John. Thanks, Paul. This is a, a tough question and a tough issue to deal with. Um, you know, I liked what uh, what John shared in his uh, when he talked last night after dinner is that I need to not try to change the meeting, but allow the meeting to change me. Um, and that's a great thing to carry with me as I go. But, you know, this specific question about, you know, how do we not have, how do we not take charge? How do we not, you know, take somebody aside and, and straighten them out when they're, they obviously don't really want to be part of our program. And, you know, I, I think many of us have been in meetings where we, there's somebody there who, uh, you know, I can say that, that I, there are people in meetings whose mere presence annoys me um, because I've become judgmental, because I, you know, I allow my desire for how things should be, my expectations 
to rule how I view other people. Um, and I have to be you know, extremely conscious of that. But you know, at some point, I have to believe, and I do believe, that there is a higher power, that there is a group conscience, and that we do have, as, as the 12 and 12 talks about, we have elder statesmen. We have people who have been in the program long enough and have enough sobriety that they don't have to speak all the time, but they, they have a lot of experience, strength, and hope. And my experience has been that in situations like that, where somebody is either trying to dominate a meeting and they don't really have the you know the program they're not really working the program they just want to be a leader of something um, that the group conscience does take over in that situation and and that there are voices of reason uh, and and it does end up working itself out you know I've seen it and, and I've seen it work itself out uh, as I said earlier, I have also been to meetings where it devolves into uh, you know, unhealthy dumping sessions. And that seems to be all that the people there want. And, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to go to other meetings if that, if that happens. Not everybody has that luxury. For some, you may have one meeting in your area and that's it. Uh, and in that case, you know, you should have an opportunity to to voice your opinions. You know, there should be a business meeting. There should be an election. There should be an opportunity for you to exert some leadership in a healthy way. Um, but again, when I do that, I always have to look at my motives. When I'm trying to be the leader, when I think I know that it's right that it has to be this way. What am I willing to do? How, how much am I willing to manipulate my fellow members to get what I want, what makes me comfortable? Um, you know, was, uh, we were going through the checklist. There's one, am I a peacemaker? Or do I, with pious preludes such as just for the sake of discussion, plunge into argument? Um, I grew up in a family where if we weren't arguing at the table about our positions, you know, we were losing. You know, that my dad really wanted us to be able to all be lawyers for some reason. I'm not sure why. But, uh, but that, was, that was the way I grew up when I was in student council in high school. I was the guy who was always, you know, they'd ask for a vote, and I was the guy who was always saying nay just for the sake of saying nay. And my instant reaction throughout my life has been, you know, the first thing that comes into my mind in any situation is what do I have to say to look like I know what I'm talking about and to be right? Even if I have to make something up to be right. That's kind of twisted. But, uh, but that's... That's how I've spent my entire life. So now, whenever I'm being asked for my opinion, like right now, I have to look at my motives. Why am I up here? Um, and I have to be doing it because I believe it's God's will and not because it's some <coughs> twisted perversion of my will. Uh, and just look back to the question, I, I do believe that these things sort themselves out. But we also have to be willing to stand up for what we believe is the best for the program and for our groups. Thanks for letting me share. Paul, uh, one of the things that's funny is in some of the meetings we had when that would turn that way, we had a group conscience and we turned around and uh, limited the time to share. Just make it part of the format. Five minutes or less. There you go. Uh, and it seemed to work that way, too. When people don't have the opportunity uh, to to go outside of the guidelines, uh, sometimes they just shut up and leave. Uh, and we want them there, but, um, you know, we've got to keep this 
the way it's been before we got there and the way it's going to be afterwards. Yeah, my name is Bob Sexholic. Uh, another program that I, I'm in, uh, we're talking about using a timer or not. And, uh, you know, some people were totally for it, some people are totally against it. And when uh, our group conscience came to the conclusion that uh, if I want to use a timer, I'll put it in front. Uh, I'll put it in front of me, and then uh, I'll use it. Paul decides he wants to share. No, he doesn't want to use it. He doesn't grab it. Stays with me. And then when somebody asks for it, John says, "Well, yeah, I want to use it." We hand it over to John. He uses it. And then uh, people are timing themselves because they want to be timed. You know that works. That works really well in the group. A as a phrase goes, stick with the wonders of supply in essay, or does it create disunity? Established, uh, establishing essay uh, authorities. Uh, I'm sure glad I heard that term stick with the winners after I worked my steps in AA because uh, I, I I was a loser when I come in here. I was a loser. That would have, would have scared me. Would have, would I come back? I don't. You know, I don't know that. All I know is people that come in there are never losers. They're winners as soon as they walk through the door. They may not act like it. You know, to me that. Uh, I heard a saying, uh, I read in a book one time, uh, uh, love the sinner and hate the sin. I like that because that's what unity to me is all about. That's what I know. And I separate the person's action. You know, it's my job to love you no matter what you do, to me or anybody else. But I don't have to love what your actions are. And that's to me, to me that's what like is. Because I was always confused as a kid, the difference between like and love. And now I know the difference. Love is who you are. Like is what you do. So, and what, how do you deal with contentious people and controversial issues and conscious meetings? You know, today, uh, I like what Paul said, you know, make a group conscious with the timers and enforce those things. And them are good things to do. I'm contentious at times. I mean, I drive a truck for a living. Believe me, people know on the road that I can be contentious with my truck sometimes. You know, but I'm a lot less than I used to be. And as far as uh, four years ago, I was given the details of a loaner who worked in sobriety at Paseco. Whenever I'd taken him to meetings, he had, uh, he, had uh, he went away and it disappeared up for, and disappeared up to a year. So far, I haven't always been there for him each time he returns. Lately, I've been discouraged. I suspect I've not been helping him or either myself. Well, are you sober? If you're staying sober, that's what that person's pur- purpose was at that particular time in their life. You know, when I came in here, I didn't trust anybody, and I was totally conflicted. Uh, sexualism, a disease of perception, just like alcoholism is. I-, I didn't know what I wanted. All I know is I didn't want what I had when I walked through the door. I wanted to get rid of that. And that was called lack of clarity, I call it. That's my insanity. You know, that's where sobriety, uh, sobriety serenity lives is in insanity. So, uh, that person's going to keep coming back doing what they're doing. I'm an example in here. Some days I'm a really good example. Some days I'm a horrible example. That's just the way it is. So, uh, I got to live in the moment and be helpful to others because my higher power is other-centered, the opposite of my disease, which is self-centered. Thanks for letting me share. John, sexaholic. And, uh, yeah, that last question about, you know, somebody coming into your life and, uh, and the question about whether or not I'm, I'm being helpful for them or whether I'm, I'm getting any help from them being in my life. Um, I, I truly believe that God puts people in our lives for a reason at particular times in our life. And, Sometimes those situations change, and maybe that person uh, isn't contributing to me anymore, but maybe I'm still contributing to that person. But uh, as long as the, the conduit is still open, then then God will figure out a way to use that conduit for, for his purpose. And the, the question about uh, stick with the winners, and does this apply in SA... Uh, or does it create disunity and establish SA authorities? Um, I think there's always a danger that you know, we, 
especially when I'm new to the program and I tend to kind of deify the the old timers and the people who've been around and, and they seem to have their act together. And you know, in, in our literature it tells us to look for a sponsor who has what you want. And that's great. Uh, but I also have a responsibility if if I'm not one of those shining stars that everybody kind of gravitates to, I have a responsibility to reach out and to make myself available to others in service. And I also, as I, you know, I mentioned earlier, that there are people in a meeting who might annoy me just for being. Um, I also have a responsibility to reach out to those people and. You know, I may not see them as a winner. Whatever a winner is in this program. Um, but I have something that I can gain from every human being that God puts in my path. And I just have to be open to it and willing to, to allow myself that, the benefit and the glory of that grace. And uh, and that's on me. Thanks for letting me share. Paul, grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, I heard the term serving the servants. And uh, there's nothing that uh, I enjoy more now to get out of self is uh, to do that. But I have to be careful sometimes when it talks about uh, one of the questions is, am I still serving and doing my chores and my turn. And I have to look at my motives, too, uh, because sometimes I can be stealing other people's opportunities to participate in the group um, the way it's set out because uh, I'm looking for the credit or I'm doing it for, for me. Um, sometimes you just have to sit back and and watch it work, and it usually will manifest its its way out but uh, for me studying the traditions has been a whole new way of of looking at the program it's been a whole new way of uh, asking those deeper questions realizing it's I'm only part of the sum of the whole and I can't do it alone because I've proven that through the years but together with you all I have an opportunity to uh, to be enlightened by the spirit uh, I guess we're getting close to the end, so anything you've heard of this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles and essay are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Uh, we're going to close with the third step prayer.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.